0: Isn't it great to hear um, from somebody who really loves their work? You know, it's clear that Leslie loves what she does. But I'm thinking about um, the guy that does the recycling uh, on our street. You know, the guy who drives that truck that they throw stuff in. This is a guy who I think really likes his work. Let me tell you a story. As often happens, I don't know if it applies to any of you, if you have trash that you deal with, that... um, I'm not quite timely on getting it out on the street. So the truck was coming down. I could hear it coming, hear it rolling, you know, rumble, rumble, rumble. I'm getting the stuff together, putting it in the blue boxes and so forth. Rushing out, and I see him coming, you know, so I kind of run run across the street to the guy across the street, put it out there, and then I wait for when the truck's going to go by, and then I'll go back and get the empty containers and bring them back in and uh, so i was waiting and saw the guy smiled at him and so on and he gets out and he does the thing but then instead of moving on he took the time he got the boxes he came around to the front of the truck he put them, stacked them up and then he slid him across the street with a smile so i i caught it and i caught his eye and we looked at each other went like this and then he got back in the truck and he went on and i thought that's a guy who loves his work and you know to tell you what Somebody who picks up the trash is an important human being. Because if trash doesn't get picked up, it's bad. I, I was in New York. I lived in New York when there was a, a sanitation worker strike. It was awful. I mean, it was awful. Trash staffed, stacked everywhere. And that stuff uh, brings out the classic New York rats. I mean, they're like little dogs when they come out. And, you know, they, they coming out. They, if you went up on the top of a building in those days and you looked down, you saw bags of trash on the top of every building because they had no place to put it. I mean, it was a crisis, but it's great to see somebody who loves their job, uh, including Leslie. So yeah, we're in this series talking about work, and isn't it great to be part of a church that talks about work? Because most pastors, and I used to be one, most pastors... um, we don't know what a job is i mean we don't have a regular job we're sort of category x i don't know and you know we we get into this you know talk about all this you know theological stuff and it's all up here and you guys are sitting down there thinking what the heck does that have to do with me well at least for this period of time this relates to you because all of us work even if we don't have a job we're all doing something we're all doing something to kind of get stuff together or to do stuff or to make some income or stuff like that. So I hope you're taking notes. And literally, I encourage you to take notes. I do. Um, either on your machine or we uh, get this little leaflet. You know what that blank thing is for? It's not. Well, you can doodle in it. I mean, that's a good way to do things. But it also is an opportunity for you to write stuff down. And a little secret about the Connect card, if you didn't get one of these things, you can use the Connect card to write stuff on too. Don't tell them that I told you that, but in any event. So yeah, Paul began this series, and um, uh, he did this as part of a dissertation for his um, divinity degree. And by the way, yesterday, was it? He walked. Can we give him a hand, Pastor Paul? He walked, got his degree. Really awesome. So this was part of the work that he did. And uh, when he spoke to us about it, he talked about how God works and he's still working, about how he's invited us into that work, and I'm going to expand a little bit on that today. How work, therefore, is a gift, but as we understand, work is also fallen. It's a broken thing, and again, I'm going to be expanding a little more on that today. Last week, Pastor Tom talked about work as a calling or how our calling can be in our work. Now, Leslie has a job. She's an audiologist. But in her job as an audiologist is a calling to heal. And it comes out of the brokenness that she had. She said, I don't want anybody to go through however long she had. Apparently, it was in college that she got her hearing aids. She wants to help a one-and-a-half-year-old to not have to deal with that, to find some healing through a device That will change her life for the better. That's the calling. And he talked about how that can be present in our work, how there is no separation between sacred and secular. It's not like we're doing sacred stuff here and tomorrow you do your secular stuff. Everything is sacred as long as we recognize and invite God into it. All work has eternal value, he said last week. Well, speaking of work, you know, all of us are working right now. You're all working right at this very moment. And it isn't because some of you may be thinking now that we've been talking about work, about what's going to be happening tomorrow, and you're already scheming and planning. And others of you may be on your little machine making plans for tomorrow. No, it's because you're breathing. That's work. You're breathing in, and you're breathing out. You're breathing in, you're breathing out. You're breathing in, and you're breathing out. <laughs> Let's take a moment to take a little deep breath, shall we? Let's take a deep breath. Take a breath in. And a breath out. I heard that. That's great. Take it again. In. And out. You know, I can hear you breathing. It's really amazing to hear all that air being moved. Deep breathing has incredible therapeutic benefits. In fact, I have a little app on my phone called Breathe. Breathe. And it shows up on my Apple Watch as well. Every once in a while at random times it will just pop up and say, breathe. (laughs) And that's really good for me because I don't know about you, but you know, I get going through a day and this thing goes, hey, take a breath. And it actually walks me through a step of doing some deep breathing. Now the Bible says that God holds our breath in his hand and that everything that has the breath of life, has been breathed into by him. Now, normal breathing, when we do it, has a somewhat shorter inhale than exhale. Now, that's because when you breathe in, actually, if you're breathing correctly, your diaphragm is expanding downward to create a greater cavity here that sucks the air in. And then when you want to exhale, you just let go of your diaphragm. This is not conscious most of the time. And it slowly goes up and pushes the air out. And that's normally what happens. But when we get stressed out or anxious or angry or we're sick or in pain, we breathe in way less and we breathe up rather than large. It's sort of kind of pictured here on the screen. We do upper chest breathing. And we kind of breathe like this. have you ever done that or maybe you're doing that right now maybe you've been in pain in some way maybe you've been injured or you've been in such stress in your life that this is how you breathe you breathe short and the problem with that is you're not getting enough oxygen And when you don't get enough oxygen, your cells don't get enough to be able to process the things they're processing. You have a toxic system in your body, and it affects how you think, how you act, and the things that you can do and the things that you can't do. Breathing is really important. That kind of upper chest breathing, that's really what is bad breath. And it also results in bad breath in some occasions. But on the other hand, when we exercise or we deep breathe, we breathe in more... And it results in a very healthy balance between inhale and exhale. Let's deep breathe one more time, okay? In and out. With your diaphragm, with your belly. I give you permission to play around with that while I'm talking. Breathing, friend, is God's illustration of the balance we're supposed to have in what we do and in how we work. The balance between work and rest between breathing in, which I'll think of as resting, and breathing out, which is working. I'm gonna suggest today that finding a good balance in your work life, which everybody seems to be interested in in these days, developing a breathable way of life, of working and resting in God, involves getting into that, not tinkering with your schedule. Well, let's define our terms. What is work? Well, we all know what work is. is, is what we do. And, and some of us here love our work. Uh, last week, we heard from Jeff and Ming, who are teachers at Worcester Academy. They love their work. But last week, Pastor Tom put a bunch of work words on the screen. You're going to see it now. And he asked us, what comes to your immediate reaction when you see these words? And the general reaction was, ugh. It was, ugh. And now that, is a kind of word that defines work in a way which is not what God intended. There are many other words we could use for that list that perhaps we shouldn't be saying in church. We're gonna talk about that version of work in just a minute, but the original work that we were designed to do and called into by God is actually God's work that he shares with us. It's seen particularly in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. Every other kind of work is a derivation from that, or rather, it's a deviation from that pattern of work that God established. So if you'd like to, open your Bibles to Genesis. Uh, you'll find them in front of you or on your screen. I don't need to tell you where Genesis is. That's one book of the Bible. You know where it is. It's at the beginning, because that's what that means, Genesis. And we're going to get some clarity about what work is, what rest is, and the balance that God offers us. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, as you kind of scan through it, God speaks everything into existence. God says, and it happens. He creates everything out of nothing. That kind of work is work that only God can do. Nobody else does that kind of work. Even people here who do original work, maybe you're an artist, or maybe you're something who creates a, a dissertation, or maybe you're somebody who works something with your hands... You're simply manipulating the stuff and the principles and the patterns that God has brought into the universe. You're not actually creating something out of nothing. But you are sharing in that subsequent work that God did with the stuff, where he arranged things and clarified things. It's like when he created the lights and made the greater light to rule the day and the lesser lights to rule the night. That's the kind of work that you and I do and that we do with God. God invites us to do that kind of work with him and for him as part of our being created in his image. And so in verse 28 of chapter 1, we read that God blessed them and then set them to do this good work. He said, be fruitful, increase in number, replenish the earth, bring it under control, and have dominion over it. We share in God's ultimate work of being in dominion over everything. That's the kind of work that we can be blessed to have. Now, in this world, as we're gonna see, we don't have that kind of feeling and that sense of being about God's work at all times, but there are times when we can have it in the various different ways that we work, whether it is that we collect the trash, or we work in an office, or we work in a factory in front of a screen, or we work in a college or a grammar school, we work in a yard, we work in a neighborhood, or we work with children, or we work in our particular relationships. It's good work that we do that derives from the original work of God himself. And it's made even better by what follows in Genesis when God's work gets balanced by God's rest. Genesis 2 and verse 2 says, God rested on the seventh day from all his work. It's like that breathing thing. Six days of God's breathing out, speaking things into existence with the breath of his mouth, and then one day of his breathing in, taking it all in, resting in all that he had done. This rest that he has literally crowns his work and makes it whole and complete. Now let's be clear, God didn't rest because he was tired Man, I'm so worn out, i got to have a day off. No, God is all-powerful. Isaiah 40 says, He's the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. So God's rest wasn't a thank God it's Friday kind of thing. No, collapsing once it's over. And he didn't rest because he had creator's block, you know, sort of like, oh, man, I can't do more. I've got to have a day off to kind of clear my mind, then I'll get to doing some more stuff. Like he couldn't figure it out. So he took a break because God is all-knowing. Proverbs 3 says, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundation, and by understanding he set the heavens in place. God's rest wasn't taking time off. This is going to teach us something, friends, so that he could do more. God's rest came about because he was finished with his work. He was done. It was over. It was ended. God's resting because what he had done was enough. I know there are many of us in this room, and I'm guilty as charged at times, where we think that we're never done. We've got one more thing to do. You know, it's kind of like it's never enough. There's always something more we have to do. And there may be some reasons why that's happened to us. We may have been brought up by somebody for whom it was never enough. And so we just keep doing more and more and more. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God could have said to himself, well, you know, I could make one more planet over here and maybe another black hole over there. Do you think he could have done that? Sure he could. Can you imagine what he could have done? But he was done. He was finished. That's why he rested, because he chose to Some of us here can't go to bed because we have more stuff to do. And if we go to bed, we're spinning that stuff in our minds. Some of us here can't sit down to have a meal. We're always doing fast food, whether it be in a restaurant or at the kitchen table. Some of us here don't know when to stop. Have you ever had anybody say to that, when will you stop? It's because we're just kind of obsessed and this is the kind of life that we live. But God, having worked hard for six days, he rested on the seventh day, submitting himself to a pattern that he's going to set up for you and me, which is simple as all, one and six, one and six, one and six, a blessed day like this, and then six days of sometimes hard work. Now, God didn't stop working any more than you stop working on this day of rest. There are things you have to do. You're going to go home and make some lunch or something like that. You might do some things. But it was that hard work that he rested from. It was that creative work that he rested from. He just kind of rested in what was and did what he needed to do. And he is still working now, but in a restful way. And we can work that way, too, at times. Jesus said the Father is working and I am working. Working with God becomes restful work, as it's done in his work pattern. God invites us into this kind of work, restful work, this purposeful, restorative, and generative work. In Genesis 2 and verse 15, we read that the Lord God has put us into his world in the garden to take care of it. But a key part of that restful work is that we join God in the rest he experienced on the seventh day of creation. He invites us into that definition of work and into that rest and that balance. He invites us to a breathable way of life with him. And he's working, by the way, to repair our damaged way of working, either overworking like crazy or for some of us, underworking because maybe we've been discouraged or we've gotten waylaid or backtracked by some form of addiction. God's at work to make all things new, including our experience of work. See, we also need to note, as it's been mentioned before in Genesis, that the work of God has been counterfeited by us. Genesis 3 tells us of another kind of work that results in the kind of working that many of us have experienced. It was brought into the world, not by God, but by us. It's called painful toil. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, we read that the woman and subsequently the man took the fruit. A word that implies they seized it or they snatched it. Right there, they invented a new category of work as they stole what was God's. See, God said, you're going to have everything here. It's all good for you. But this, he said, this is mine. Not yours. This is mine. You can have everything else. What'd they do? They stole it. And that was work. Sneak up and steal that thing. Right there. Immediately now, they're engaged in another kind of work life. They're engaged in self-protection, taking care of themselves, providing for themselves. They got those fig leaves, right? And by the way, you know, Christian art depicts them as putting the fig leaves right here. Uh, It's not what it was all about. They used it to cover themselves. It was like your clothes. They put themselves around because they're ashamed of their nakedness, not sexually, because they're, they're ashamed of just being vulnerable. Now they have to provide for themselves, and that was not a very good job. I mean, how'd they work that thing anyway? I don't know. But that's what they thought they had to do. And then they engage in deception, the work of deception. They, they, they try to hide from God. Can you imagine that? You ever tried to do that? Well, God's not going to notice. Oh, get out. I mean, it's ridiculous. And that's what they do. And you can imagine them just being frenetic. It's the kind of shallow breath kind of breathing. And ever since, you and I have been engaged in that kind of work as we've sought to see stuff for ourselves, power, stuff, money, influence, beauty, knowledge from God. Steal it. He wants to give it to us, but we try to swipe it. And ever since, we've been similarly cursed with painful labor, toil, the kind of ugh thing that the words about work evoked. Some of us here are feeling that right now as we talk about work, as you think about what you're going to tomorrow, if you're going to work tomorrow. And then having been kicked out of the Garden of Eden with God, people no longer experience the rest that God invited them into. They discover instead those uniquely human inventions On the one hand, they experience boredom as they go about doing their work. And then we experience leisure or amusement, on the other hand, to sort of give us some semblance of rest. That's what we invent to sort of make life better. You can also almost imagine Adam and Eve shallow breathing in their overwhelming anxiety and then collapsing in a heap of leisure and amusement at the end of the day or week. Does that sound familiar? You ever said to yourself, "Why I need a vacation. And then you come back from your vacation, you say, I need a vacation for my vacation. Because I was so exhausted trying to do everything to make myself feel better from all the junk that I've been doing. And so in Genesis 3, verse 9, God says to Adam and Eve and to us this question, where are you? Where are you? What are you doing? And then elsewhere in the Bible, he says, why are you eating the bread of anxious toil. What is going on here? That's not what I want for you. And this toil and this boredom, leisure and amusement package that many of us have inherited and enhanced, it's what begins to create its own kind of evil such that the earth itself and all its inhabitants, human and otherwise, are damaged in such a way that eventually later on in Genesis chapter 6, God wants to start things over by a flood and by an ark but the permanent damage has been done. As Noah and his family emerge from the ark in Genesis 9, only to find Noah getting leisurely drunk, amusing himself, passing out naked, and then his bored sons come and find amusement in laughing at their dad's nakedness. It's just a horrible picture. We see that damage everywhere in our culture ever since. We see it today in an individual, in a family, a community, a nation, or even in the environment itself. Well, let's take a deep breath after we've talked about all that. Let's take a deep breath. Man. Well, how do we recover? How do we recover a measure of the work balance that we're meant to have? How do we find what I'm calling the breathable life? Well, it involves just what we did, taking a breath. This part of our series of weekend messages actually surrounds the one that Tom did and I'm doing today, comes under the first of Journey's three key initiatives that we want to help one another to love God. Now you go, well duh, that's what a church ought to do, right? And so that's why we do stuff like this, but that's not what it's about. Yes, it involves this. It involves those of you who are watching, watching and worshiping along with us, but It's way more than that. It involves learning to love God everywhere, 24-7, day in and day out. That's how you are going to find a measure of the restful labor that God will invite you into. That's how you're going to find a balanced life. You can't manufacture this by time management. That'll help, but the primary thing is that we learn to love God. It's like breathing. We need to find ways to breathe Him in. So then we can breathe him out at work. We need to take deep breaths of God, reminding us of how he first created us, how he breathed into us the breath of life. So here are some four ways that we can love God and develop a breathable balance. And one of these may actually strike you. The first is the word render. Now, this is an old-fashioned word, Uh, the word surrender sort of surrounds it, so we'll get to that. Remember when Jesus was once asked a question about whether it was right for a believing Jew to pay the despised Roman Empire tax, as if that would somehow defile that person? And you remember Jesus' response? He said, basically, if you're going to use their roads, if you're going to use their money, then you need to pay the tax, pay it. He said it this way in an older translation. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. That money belongs to Caesar. It's circulated by him. So you need to render, to give over, to surrender a portion to him. But then he added this. He said, render to God the things that are God's. Give to God the things that are God's. What do you think that thing might be? That would be you. That would be me. That's what we need to give to God. If you're ever going to find work-life balance, that restful work that God has designed for you, then you need to render yourself, give yourself over to God. If you don't give yourself to God to let him own you and control you in every area of your life, then you will be owned or controlled by somebody else. It might be the man, it might be the boss, it might be the person in your life, it might be your children who will rule you, it might be your school or your professor. It might be your career that will rule you. There's a thousand things that will rule you if you don't let yourself be ruled by God. Many of us here believe in God. That's why we're here. That's a good thing, although James says, well, even the demons believe, (laughs) and they shudder. That sometimes is better than what some of us do. Believing in God is one thing, but actually surrendering ourselves to God is something else. It's sort of like the difference between dating somebody and marrying somebody. We want to be married to God. We want God. God has betrothed himself to us in Jesus Christ and we need to say, I do. I give myself to you. I give myself to live for you for the rest of my life and to let you control everything, including my work. I give my thoughts, I give my actions, I give my intentions and my desires, I give that all over to you. It's the only way that you can find what the Bible calls the abundant life, another term for this breathable, this balanced kind of living, thats life indeed. It comes as we love God enough to give him control of as much of ourselves as we can. That includes our time, that includes our money, and especially our work. Now once we start to do that as St. Paul says in every situation including our work then the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So I just want to say to you today if you've never truly given control of yourself to God you're a believer but you're not somebody who's rendered yourself to God then today's the day. You can do that right now. You can just shut me off and just do business with God and offer to him that part of your life that you haven't surrendered. It might be your work. You know, you have your Sunday self and then you have your Monday to Friday or maybe Monday to Saturday self. And God says, no, I want, it. I want you all. I want the whole, the whole deal. And, and if you'd like some help with that, you can join us after the service for prayer back here. Now, people point back here, and some of you have never been back here, And if you're like me, I'm a little claustrophobic, and so I think about going into a room that I don't know, and I think, am I going to get trapped in there? And also, are there going to be people in there that are going to leap on me and pray over me and do all kinds of religious and spiritual things for me? I wouldn't like that very much. I want to tell you, this room is open. It's an open space. You can go through that door and come right out the other side and disappear if you want to. And those people have been trained to care for you gently. They'll ask you, what do you want? And you'll tell them. And they'll pray for you. And they, they won't get all kind of crazy on you, guaranteed. They'll just invite God to meet your need. And it may be, Lord, I need to give myself to you today. I need to render myself. I'm aware that I haven't given charge of my life to you. Second, we need to rest. Well, duh, we've been talking about that. But it's not just once, but it's daily that we can breathe more deeply of that peace of God as we learn how to rest in Him. Because the world that you and I live in, particularly the working world, is full of peoples and systems that are not surrendered to God. They're surrendered to themselves or the stockholders or the system or the man or whatever or the woman. They don't know how to rest and they don't want you to rest. They want you to keep going and going and going and going. I was talking with a physician here about what it was like to work in uh, residency. And I've gotten a little better about this in med school, but my gosh. They put doctors through a hazing system. Work and work and work. And it's dangerous. You know, work in 16, 18-hour days, and then they come to touch you in the middle of your disease. And why do they do it? Because that's the way it's been done. That's the system. I went through it, so you're gonna go through it. It's crazy, because it's not submitted to God. It's an ungodly system that we live in. It all begins, you see, as we say, okay, I'm not gonna do what they do, I'm gonna learn how to stop, how to cease. And that's what Sabbath means Shabbat, stop. And this, not because we have to, because we're so exhausted. Or because, oh yeah, i got to keep the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath day. But because we choose to do it. Six days we do our work. And then the seventh is a day of Sabbath for the Lord. That's meant to be a day without a clock, without a boss, without a deadline. Or a project that must get to be done. You know, one of the things about people of color, particularly African Americans in America, is that church and the Sabbath was the one day where they could be themselves. And they didn't have to be subject to some white person that was running their life. And so church was a beautiful day just to kind of be together with the family of God and to rest and rejoice and thank God that we survived another week under their leadership. That's what it's like for us, for all of us, that this is a day when we can rejoice in the Lord. And we start by giving him the best time of the day, 90 minutes, whether it be Saturday night or Sunday morning, where we gather with the saints we worship God and then we hang out with each other, but then it presses into the day. Statement of Faith says of us that our singular aim is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what this day's about. It's a day to glorify God, to enjoy Him. It's a commandment, yeah, but it's God's gift to help balance our work with His rest. Once we start working on this breathing deep on the Sabbath, We'll then enter into that rest at home and at work and at school. We'll discover the breathable life that Paul describes when he says the peace of God will rule in our hearts. The message of Christ will dwell in us richly. What we hear here we'll take home and we'll percolate on it. You'll be thinking about this if you're able to rest. We'll sing with gratitude in our hearts. We'll sing some of the songs that we've heard today. Some of them get stuck in your head, don't they? You can't get them out. Well, it's a great day to sing them in the shower or wherever. And whatever we do in word and deed, we'll do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So rest. Next, we need to reflect. As we keep rendering ourselves to God, giving ourselves to him, breathing in and breathing out, entering into his rest, we'll then be able to reflect on our life and how we can best follow and serve the Lord in a balanced way of living. That's the kind of thing that God did in Genesis 1, where at the end of every day, he looked back reflected and he said, "Wow, that's good. Ooh, good work, God. (laughs) And then at the end of the day when he created us, he said, whoa, that's real good. That's very good. That's a beautiful thing. And, you know, for you to take some time as you go through the day to reflect. But, you know, my wife says that we really don't know what good is. We've been trained weirdly by the world to think that this is good when actually it's not so good and this is bad but that actually is pretty good. So that's why we need the Bible. That's why we need to spend some time every day looking into the word of God that will show us ourselves, show us what God is, show us what the real world is about, and will give us an opportunity to reflect on what's going on and you know one of the things that uh, Jesus did and the people of God did in the first days they kept the hours of prayer which about every three hours they would pause and pray might be to say a little prayer might been you know later on in the history of the church it was the Lord's Prayer but just a time to reflect and you can actually look and say well this day is not going well Lord help me or this day's going pretty good Lord Show me what's more. And we have an opportunity to kind of engage in reflection. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, in the scripture of God, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in due season, and its leaf doesn't wither. When times get tough, we don't dry up because we're spending our time reflecting in the Lord and receiving His peace and perspective. So that balanced life, that blessed, resilient, spiritually prosperous life that we're describing here, that's available to every one of us here as we give ourselves to God, as we enter deeply into His rest and as we reflect on our life and make adjustments that He shows us. But we need one more element, one more R. We've got to do this together. You can never craft this kind of life by yourself. You see, God says it's not good for us to be alone, and, and that's not why he gave some of us wives and husbands to sort of run our life. No, that's not what that means, because not everybody here is supposed to be married. It's a great life you can have as an unmarried person, but all of us here are not to be alone. We're to have friends, including perhaps a spouse, and we do that in order that we can relate So we can learn about how to live this abundant life. Now, we've talked about the fourth commandment to keep a Sabbath, but when St. Paul and Jesus talked about a great commandment, they talked about love. 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Jesus was asked about the great commandment. He said, love God, love others. And then he said to the believers, love one another above all as I've loved you. You see, God doesn't want us to be alone. God wants us to work out this stuff together, and so that's why we're church. That's why we do this thing. Not because this is the place we come and check in with God and say, I was here, right? Okay, check me off, okay? But so that we get connected. We make friends here that can help us, who can point out, you know, you're shallow breathing, friend. I've watched you. You're just kind of, are you okay? Or we can say to one another gently, Are are you doing anything? (laughs) You know, there's a life here that's meant to be led. Don't fritter it away in front of a screen. You know, to encourage one another, to be able to say, I don't know what to do, I'm just so anxious. I'm so worried, can you pray for me? And you know, some of us here are are a little bit friendless. You know, a little secret about making friends is you make a friend by being a friend. It's kind of simple. Jesus said, do unto others as you do unto them. And you know the best thing you can do for somebody is to just listen. You know, if you're an introvert here, you can ask a really well-placed question. And if you'll listen, you'll make a friend. I guarantee it. Extroverts, we blab a lot. Blah, 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 blah. Everybody has to listen to us. But when you listen to somebody else, you make a friend. And then when that kind of friendship circle, a little circle, doesn't need to be a big thing, a little circle, then we begin to work out this life together. We begin to encourage one another, to press back at the system. They know we're not going to put up with this. This is not the life we're supposed to live. And if we are trapped, then we got people who come around us and say, I'm going to help you. I'm going to make possible certain things for you. I'm going to get you connected or I'm going to support you so you can find something that's going to be life-giving for you. That's what church does. That's the kind of life that we can live together. Well, let's close. Let's close by looking at a little verse which is really a great verse. It's from Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. It says this, God is at work. Let's just pause there. It's not what it means, but I just want to say again, God is at work. He'll be waiting for you tomorrow. He'll be there, sitting in that chair, standing beside you in the workplace. He'll be hanging with you. He'll be at class with you if you're going to class or whatever it is. He's at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's say that together God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. One more time with conviction. God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Lord, thank you for the truth of that verse. Thank you that you are at work in us. You're even at work at work to will and to work for your good pleasure. And I pray, Lord, that we may in some small measure tomorrow sense that you're there. And share in your pleasure as we do our work with you. In your name we pray. Amen.